A young perspective on hot-button issues around the world. This is The Hub. Hello and welcome to The Hub on CGTN. The Belt and Road Initiative proposed by Chinese President Xi Jinping turns 10 this year. After a decade, the greater connectivity has been seen throughout logistic channels and infrastructure projects, while people and cultures along the BRI are getting closer. Such bond brings ever more exchanges, mutual learning, and potentially understanding. In what way has the BRI played a crucial role in bringing people together? And how can such a role be further leveraged to bolster mutual learning? To discuss all this and beyond, I sat down with the distinguished panel of experts. 接下来，让我们有请圆桌对话环节的各位嘉宾，他们是亚太“一带一路”共策会会长翁世杰 ，Mr. Ong T. Kat. We've heard from him. He's president of the Belt and Road Initiative Caucus for Asia Pacific. Welcome. 中国人民大学新闻学院教授、公共外交研究院副院长、“一带一路”国家记者培训项目创始负责人钟欣女士。Madam Zhongxin is the founding director of the BRI Journalist Exchange Program at German University. 复旦大学“一带一路”及全球治理研究院常务副院长黄仁伟先生 ，Mr. 黄仁伟 ，is the executive dean of Fudan Institute of Belt and Road and Global Governance。清华大学“一带一路”研究院研究员明竹女士 ，Madam Zoon Ahmad Khan, research fellow at the Belt and Road Strategy Institute at Tsinghua University. She's also a fellow at the Center for China and Globalization. We also have one more guest, Dr. Jill Stejan, director of business operations of African Chamber of Commerce in China. How are you, my friend? Sorry about that. All good. Good to see you. Hello, Xin. Good morning. Minister, good to see all of you. Ladies and gentlemen, it's great to see all of you.、Uh, let's get to it. The power of culture in shaping perceptions and transcending our differences. We've so often heard that culture transcends, right? But、um, given the reality, I would like to ask all of you this question. Perhaps you can start by sharing with us your opening thoughts. In this day and age, in light of all the geopolitical tensions between China and the United States,、uh, you know the war in Eurasia,、uh, does culture still transcend? What power does culture truly hold?、Uh, let me start with you, Minister. Well, I think by and large, as it is today,、uh, we can see that culture、uh, is the Subject matter that that has caught the least attention from the state actors as well as the、uh, bureaucrats. Nonetheless, it is certainly crucial. It promotes understanding and、uh, enduring peace. Generally speaking, the masses, the people of、uh, different colors, different、uh, background, they may not be able to understand the profound. Philosophies of the various cultures. So it is our job, whoever the promoters are, to make it simple, easy to understand, and make it reachable to various levels of social strata. This is my take. Let me get your thoughts, Ding Huang. Do you think that you know the power of culture is still evident, or do you think the gap of understanding, the gap of different cultures, is widening despite? All the tools, all the digital communications tools at our disposal, are increasing. In the world, there are a lot of cultures, and they are very different. The Western culture, sometimes they believe it's more advanced 
than non-Western cultures. Actually, it's not. Like African, very beautiful music, very beautiful painting. You see, this, this culture should be very much respected. Like many minorities in China, when we travel in Yunnan or in Xinjiang, we enjoy these uh, cultures in these minorities. Along the bed and the road, we know better and better about cultures outside of China. Actually, we didn't, we didn't understand the Pakistan culture very much. When we got into the Pakistan-China corridor, more and more Chinese workers living in Pakistan, they can understand the Pakistan culture when they live there three years, five years. That's what I understand. Culture is power, but this is not any kind of power to press others' culture. This is power to respect other cultures. Zun, do you think we're getting more inward-looking and then more nationalistic hmm. and then more narrow-minded instead of more globally-minded? I mean, do you still think that culture and civilizations can effectively reach across borders, reach across religions and civilizations? First of all, I mean, culture is how we exist. All of us, we come from a certain cultural context. So it is everyone's individual reality. And then secondly, the diversity of cultures is another fact. Now the question is, does this diversity help us understand and respect each other, or does it threaten us? There are differences between China and Pakistan, but when you observe people and interact people with them up close, you realize that in the end, there are also a lot of similarities. The importance of family, parents, children, customs, what they lead to is the same. So I think, number one, we need to recognize that, yes, there is a trend which has been sort of spearheaded by, like again was mentioned, some Western countries that thought that they have arrived, they have emerged, and the others must learn from them and follow them. This is wrong. 80% of the world's people do not think like that, and that 80% is rising. Culture leads us to understand each other's history. And history is as humbling as it is inspiring. It's helping us empathize with each other, relate to one another, and it can help us learn from a historic perspective. So it is more relevant than ever before. And how we talk about other regions. Lastly, I'll add that, for example, CGTN's coverage of the African continent is very different from what many Western media were doing 20 years ago. And that watching that coverage is helping more people respect the culture from those countries. Dr. Uh, Dajon, I just came back from South Africa, actually, yeah. my first trip to Africa. Throughout the decades, we know that Africa is emerging from colonialism and trying to catch up with the rest of the world in terms of modernization and industrialization. Tell us about uh, the importance of having the Af Africa and the African culture and civilizations properly represented on the global stage. What are the challenges uh, and the opportunities in this digital age? In the 16th century, the world had been living under one civilization. It's called the Western civilization. And they were able to set up the standards and the different norms and codes. Africa was part of that. Today, we are living in a different era. The BRICS, you, you were talking about South Africa, mm. has the potential to open a world where we could see emerge or revigorate all the civilization. These civilizations have been 
hidden, tame, under control for almost 500 years, now we have the opportunity to express it, to present it. This is what the BRICS is about. The value of what the BRICS is bringing is the presentation of each part of the world, each beauty of the world. We can all be together while having our own identity. Culture is a big concept. It can be a vague concept, but it, it con connotates and encompasses so many things. Politics and diplomacy, um, commerce investment, um, you know, studying abroad programs, uh, touring around each other's countries, entertainment, sports, and music. So, Minister Arm, out of all the things that we've mentioned, which element of culture do you think is still relevant and effective in um, reaching across cultures at this point? In the full spectrum of uh, cultures, I could see very clearly that the subculture, subculture remains uh, the most popular. Many a time, politicians or even policymakers, they turn a blind eye uh, to subcultures. Subcultures uh, include things like uh, street art or pop cultures, pop music. It is crucial for us to make full use of subcultures in order to make things understood more comprehensible among people, people of all walks of life. Director Jong, what do you think? What are the, some of the lower-hanging fruits that we can start with by you know, bridging the gap of understanding and reducing host hostility uh, because there's simply too much hostility out there? There are so many things we can share with the world, we can change with the world. There is, there is one museum in Beijing which exhibited the, what kind of food have been introduced by Zhang Qian. If you go to Beijing, go to look at how Zhang Qian had imported such a food from the Western world to China. Food can make people collected. Whenever you say something which makes the people collected would be effective ones. Today we are talking about the Belt and Road. I think this high-speed high train, the high-speed train is really something which can symbolize the past 10 years of the BRI construction. Last month, I went to Kunming and I saw, I saw the beginning point of the china Lao Railway. I also interviewed the uh, journalists from Lao News Agency. They said that they really collect the people and benefited the people of both sides. They make laws from landlocked country to land-linked country. This is what I was very impressed. We should create We'll try to find culture, that, that very important part of the culture which can create empathy. Yeah, I mean, talking about uh, uh, sports, I was recently in South Africa. I, was, um, I grew into the habit of you know, visiting bookstores, whichever city I go. And in Johannesburg, two best-selling books. One is about a rugby player. It's a white rugby player in South African team. The other one, of course, is the autobiography of Trevor Noah the uh, talk show host. What does that say, uh, Dijon, about the, the power of sport and culture? And there's so much that Africa has to offer. Yes, I would like to also get back to what my colleagues said before. Uh, I think arts, arts should be the number one uh, vector or vehicle of um, a very unique world. What I mean is, for example, you have 3,000 languages in Africa. That means we can never speak the same language, even if 
within Africa, we are not able to speak the same language. So it will be impossible to have one unique language. Uh, the British tried it, and did it work. But sports and art are two things where, regardless of your nationality, your language, your race, your background, we can understand each other. Uh, when I see a painting from a Chinese painter, for example, I know the beauty. I don't need someone to translate to me. Same thing with art, same thing with sport. When I see a boxer, when I see a rugby player, for example, you see this is an athlete because we all share the same thing. We have a body, so we can understand it as a universal language among people living on this planet. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, people have been talking about the fact that um, uh, the, the people of African descent they're gaining a foothold in Western European societies first uh, through sports. If you look at the 2018 French national men's football squad uh, yeah. that won the World <laughs> Cup that year, eight out of the 11 players were of African descent, including yeah. Mbappe. Only three players were white players, yeah. uh, namely Griezmann, Giroud, and a goalkeeper who played for Hotham Spurs. Of course, um, Dean Huang, you showed us the beautiful pictures of you know, the Dunhuang art, the Grutos over there. It was uh, a center of excellence. It was at the height of cultural exchanges. But nowadays, um, what would you say about the current state of affairs when it comes to cultural exchanges? I think we should think of next 50 years or 100 years, what will happen in cultural exchange. That is some kind of revolution is happening. That is AI. AI will totally change the ways of cultural exchange. You see, five years ago or ten years ago, I played the Wei Qi, the God. People said that no one, no one can make the, the robot, the computer, to win human brain. Now, the AI much higher than human brain. And the AI will create new cultures. The, the AI can put different cultures together in one culture, much bigger than uh, narrowly restricted by regions, by areas. And when you watch a TV, the most important thing is the language. And you cannot change, uh, translate Hollywood to all the languages, but the AI can. Any film, any movie, if export to some country. Simultaneously or? They can, the, the hero can speak the local language immediately. Yeah. No problem. So the exchange of, the, the cultural exchange will be very easy. So it's a technology that might transcend. Yes. Uh, it's very interesting, Minister, on top of subcultures. Uh, and then uh, for Joe's talked about the power of art and sports, and uh, Ding Huang is talking about the AI and technology, and uh, Dr. Zhong also talked about uh, the power of empathy, things that we can all empathize with. Zun, what do you think? Well, wh wh where should we start? It would be the degree to which we can facilitate interaction and discussion between people from different cultures. So for example, one of the first projects that I was lucky to be a part of back in 2016 was a think tank cooperation study between China and the Muslim world. 
And at that time, there was an acute realization that even though a predominant number of Muslim countries, uh, uh, the countries that were in the first phase of the BRI were Muslim countries, the direct think tank linkages between both sides are few. And what that leads to is maybe more information coming to the Muslim world about China from the West and about the Muslim world from the West towards China. So the, a big project has been in these years, and we can all observe, the increased linkages between think tanks, media, academics, students of China and the Muslim world of China and the Belt and Road countries. And what is that essentially leading to? More spaces for interaction, more collaboration, more ways to understand one another. And that's where, you know, we need to ask ourselves, what exactly is the goal? What, what are we trying to achieve from deepening cultural cooperation? Is it familiarity or fondness, right? So that's where I think familiarity is absolutely very important because once you start the conversation, once you understand one another, you can relate to each other. That increases empathy, like you just said, but that also increases the potential for mutual opportunities. And in the end, that's what we are looking for, a world that is more pragmatically, more practically connected. So, Minister On, let me start with you. I mean, you were the Vice Minister of Higher Education in Malaysia. That is a very unique country. You know, people have uh, very good memories of Malaysia, you know, back in the day when Michelle Yeoh, the recent darling, has long been the darling of Malaysia, which is one of the Oscars, um, that famous commercial where Michelle Yeoh declared that Malaysia truly Asia. <laughs> that was a brilliant piece of uh, commercial, I must say. I was the... I was 14, 15 years old, I do remember that. Malaysia truly Asia, uh, talking about the fact that uh, it's diverse, ethnically, religiously, and racially. When you were Vice Minister of Higher Education, how did you put in a program that tend to the interests of all these ethnic groups while still leading a program that connotates the love of country while opening their eyes and the mind to the outside world? Now, because knowing very well that Malaysia has always been now one of the models, one of the models uh, to manifest cultural diversity. I must say that uh, the biggest challenge, the biggest challenge is, is that we need to break, we need to break the barriers, the, the uh, conspicuous as well as the unseen barriers, ethnic barriers, religious barriers, and uh, some other related complexities as well. And that has never been easy. Because barriers, put it this way, barriers would keep people away from mutual understanding or perhaps even uh, acceptance, the basic acceptance of tolerance. People can get more and more intolerant of others, right, without understanding. That I would call the, uh, the most basic fundamentals we need to work on. And later on, of course, when... Uh, we are there already, we should endeavor further to further develop understanding. Understanding and uh, acceptance of uh, coexistence. Coexistence, that is the second tier. Then come, coming to the higher plane, then we can talk about interaction. Interaction. Interaction, that means to say they can mingle, not just physically, but also mentally and academically. That would lay the foundation for mutual appreciation. Mutual appreciation, put it this way, is the most challenging. It's the most challenging. I wouldn't say that is the, 
the uh, end game, but certainly that is the ideal we need to attain uh, through painstaking efforts. Director Zhong, you lead a very important program, a journalism program at your university. Also, you're a founding director of the Bowden World Journalist Exchange programs. So uh, I, we know that the love of country is emphasized here in China and across <laughs> almost each and every country that I've visited, that we've been. Um, how do you reconcile and put together a program that combines love of country while opening the eyes and mind of your students to the outside world? Uh, one of my important part, one of the important part of my job is to organize the exchange program for the internet, uh, for the Belt and Road Country Journalist, and uh, of course, the all the all the journalists love their own country, love their own countries, and we love our own countries. At the same time, we should have, we also love the world. It's not conflicting. If you love your country more, you should love the world more. I think it's really, it's, it's one thing. It's not two things. It's one thing. So when the journalists come to China, they realize that what they should learn from China, they love more, from, love more uh, about China. And when they go back, they can, can use what they have learned from China for uh, for their own country, to contribute to the construction or development of their country. So that's, we, we come to the theme of this topic, cultural, the, the mutual learning of civilizations. Ding Huang, you published this very important article, The Time and Space of China's Rise. It was published in 2002. It's widely quoted, perhaps one of the most widely quoted article on China's rise back in 2001 when, you know, the, the concept of the rise of China was still in its nascency. Um, do you think the time and scope of China's rise has basically finished I mean, in the Western world? I mean, what are the, the prospects in the landscape now? China's rise is very unique. This is 1.4 billion people to have a better life. This is the China's rise. China's rise is very, very sustainable. The, the community, uh, of share the future. People always believe this is a, some kind of political slogan, not the reality. But the Biden Road shows it is the practical reality what China can do and should do. When we grow up, we should share our development with others. And the others' development will give China more opportunity. This is totally different thinking with so-called uh, superpower or hegemony. Five, 500 years, always Western hegemony. So now, China's emerging as a different country, different power. This power is based on the living standard of China's, Chinese people. So, so this is the base of China's rise. Uh, Zun, you know, you, you come from a country uh, that has had its fair share of uh, factional infighting. How is the situation there when it comes to putting together a national program, consolidating this love of country, while uh, you know, appealing for more openness, you know, looking out to the outside world? Historically, there was diversity, and that diversity was our strength. And even in that, we were interacting historically with, with China, with other regions. It wasn't a problem. 
And I think the, the crux of it would be to understand patriotism as not becoming like each other, but as just a basic love for the homeland. It doesn't need to be divisive at all. We have a unique perspective even within a country, and that can lead to synergy if we understand one another and respect each other. That if we think pragmatically, if the government also works more on uh, helping people overcome the current challenges we are facing of misunderstanding each other, I think it's going to help us overcome this. Yeah, of course, uh, Pakistan is not a monolithic hoe, uh, neither is Africa. Uh, Jills, uh, talk to us about uh, what do you think are the misrepresentations of Africa in the global news landscape? Uh, the reason why the Western media, for example in the US, the perception of Africa is from the European perspective. Because, of course, uh, the US have never uh, colonized uh, Africa, but they rely on what the British has to present to them or the French. The reason why we have this situation in Africa today is because we don't have access to tools of communication. Our perception of the world is based on somebody else too. Uh, we are perceived by foreigners from the, the point of view of European. We need to take back that narrative like China did. And we believe in this way we could achieve something. Thank you very much. I think we have uh, time for a, a last round of uh, ending thoughts, uh, very quick thoughts, uh, starting from Minister Aung. The misconceptions or sometimes even deliberate uh, uh, distortion uh, of uh, Chinese ideals, the problem lies in the lack of understanding. People don't believe. Why they don't believe? Because you have yet to come up with your own narrative uh, that is convincing. The major bulk of our audience is the fan-sitters. That means to say these people, they are vulnerable to influence from either side. They could be influenced by Chinese and the also swing, at the same the time by the West. Yeah, and uh, we need to capture this particular segment of people. Not that we want to convince the diehards. Forget about that. Very, very thoughtful. Um, Dr. Chong. The differences of cultures makes a colorful world which we can enjoy and, and help each other to develop together. So oh, the BRI really provided the opportunity for us to have, in, have cultural exchanges. And uh, this will provide us more cooperation and uh, common development. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, and that is wrapping up our panel discussion and per ritual of this program. I would like to invite all of you to the center of the stage for a family photo.